Welcome, friends. This is your host, Lisa Colon-Delay, and you're listening to Spark My Muse podcast. One of the people who has been most influential on my spiritual walk is Dr. Howard Thurman. Howard Thurman was born in segregated Florida in 1900, and he was recognized as one of last century's foremost religious leaders at the time of his death in 1981. He taught and lectured at over 500 institutions around the world, and he wrote more than 20 books on spiritual discovery and inspiration. He served as Dean of Rankin Chapel and Professor of Theology at Howard University in Washington, D.C. He was a member and co-founder of the Interdenominational Fellowship Church in San Francisco, the first fully integrated church in America. Later, he was Dean of Marsh Chapel and the Minister-at-Large of Boston University. His daughter, Anne Spencer Thurman, was a lawyer and a journalist who made her home in San Francisco until her death in 2001, and she finished up this book for The Inward Journey, which I'm going to be reading from today, which is a collection of his writings and poems, and a lot of these were read during the church services at Fellowship Church. One of the things I'm going to concentrate on today is something that he wrote to go along with Psalm 139. He would read these meditations in times prior to the service or the sermon starting, and people would be able to center down. How good it is to center down, Thurman would say. And centering down doesn't mean that you always get to go to a very quiet place and find solitude, although that's very nice to do. It certainly can be very helpful. What Thurman was speaking of is finding that inner solitude and quietude and silence where we meet God in the intimacy of our most inward place. I'm not going to read the entire bit of this Psalm 139. I hope you get this book and read it for yourself. Prior to me reading this portion today, I want to just speak a little bit about the word thou and also explain that Thurman is speaking in a very poetic way, in a more old-fashioned way that poetry or the Bible was rendered in times past. But it is important to realize that thou is a word for you in the singular. And so when we say you today, that can mean either singular or plural. In times past, you was always plural and thou was always singular. And it has an intimacy to it. I think that that is kind of lost on us today when we say I, thou, and speaking of relationship, it is a something that can't be mistaken for something else. An I-thou relationship versus an I-it relationship is altogether different. It is a relationship between two persons. It is one that can have intimacy and mutuality. An I-it relationship can never be that way because one of those parties has been objectified. And I-you is also much different than an I-thou relationship because it is an interaction with a group. Many times in the Bible, there are things that are translated, especially in the epistles of Paul, that say you, and it is, of course, meaning the church he was writing to. And we will read you and automatically think it's about us as individuals, and we live in an individualistic society. We wind up thinking about sanctification and that process and growing in Christ-likeness as this individual pursuit. But Paul was never speaking in those terms. He was speaking to churches, 
not individuals, and he was speaking in terms of communities growing together, learning together, and loving each other well. If you know anything about Psalm 139, you'll know it's this beautiful and long scripture passage that is attributed to King David, and it talks very intimately about a relationship with God. It talks about being searched and known, that God is acquainted with all our ways, that God is set before and behind us, that God knows us all together, that there is no place where God's presence can't be found. We will not be left alone. We will always belong. If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I descend into hell, thou art there. God knows all about us, all our inward parts, all the hairs on our head, and we are precious to God. When we lie awake at night, God is there. I want to read a portion of this for us today to dwell on this presence of God. Too often we don't think of God in an eye-thou relationship. We think of God in a more objectified kind of way. And anything we objectify, we will tend to use instead of love. People we objectify might be people we don't know or are familiar with or love, and we can objectify them. For instance, if you have someone working for you, say, on your garden, so the people who work for them are just workers to them. They are not necessarily people with families or people who have needs. They are useful to them, and they are objectified. An employer might be this to us. An employer might be a big corporation that is objectified or a boss that we don't really know that seems big and mean and far off. We don't really know this person and therefore they are means to an end so we can get a paycheck to feed our families and pay our bills. We also wind up objectifying people when we think sexist thoughts and we think racist thoughts and we think any kind of superior or proud thoughts. And if there is anyone we should begin to not objectify, it's God. And we do this by growing in intimacy, growing in knowledge and understanding, but also in felt intimacy where we sense the presence of God with us in a loving, caring, and gracious way. I'm going to begin reading on page 104 and continue on for a few sections. Thou knowest it altogether. My words cry out to give their hearts away. Each has its story and comes from afar. Again and again, I seek my way with them, to ring them round with well-kept secrets, known to me, to me alone. Sometimes they are willing carriers of private ends, spending their strength in missions not their own. Sometimes they rebel against the quality of my need and force their way into another's heart, betraying the secrets I would not share. Sometimes the full sweep of urgency frightens all speech, leaving me bruised and shaken. My words cry out to give their hearts away, the integrity of the word. Where may it be found? It is meanings the words have gained from all its wanderings through the wilderness of sounds in many lands in far-off places, it is the self-offering of the word to the honest seeker after truth. 
that it may blend its secret with the deep resolve? Is it something outside the word, some meaning a man would share beyond the word itself? Is there only the integrity of the man to domesticate the word, to safeguard its character, to purge the violence from its face, to allow no service that defiles degrades, to make it one with truth, to fill it with the pure intent. This is to make the word the sacrament, the angelos of God. This is the breath of life that makes man, man. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, thou knowest it all together. I'm going to pause for a second here and also mention that Howard Thurman is a man of his time of the last century, and he is gender exclusive speaking with male pronouns and saying man and meaning men and women. So just keep that in mind. It's kind of like doing a translation in your head each time, but I want to keep it faithful to what he's written, but also mention what he means for us today. On page 106, the section title says, Whither shall I go from thy presence? And we would say, where should I go from your presence? But this is a very poetic and antiquated way of saying it. It sounds more poetic and pleasing to the ears, perhaps. Whither shall I go from thy presence? From thee is there some hiding place? The deed is a thing so private, so inside the perfect working of desire, that its inward part seems known to me to me alone. The ebb and flow of thoughts within my hidden sea, the forms that stir within the channels of my mind, keep tryst with all my hidden hopes and fears, the ties that hold me fast to those whose life with mine makes one, the tangled twine that binds my life, when things I claim as mine are held in place by folds of my embrace. The sealed stillness that walls around, the heartaches and the pain, it is held against all else that would invade. Awe-filled contrition, emptied clear of violence and sin, seeps slowly from the wilderness of my deserted soul. Almighty joy mounts to the brim and overflows in wild array, with music only ears attuned can hear. And yet, always, I know that another sees and understands. Every vigil with me keeps watch. The door through which he comes, no man can shut. He is the door. I cannot go from thy presence. There is no hiding place from thee. I'll pause one moment to say that the idea of no hiding place from God is to be a comforting thought of solace and love. And that was not my experience growing up. I remember hearing sort of threatening words taught to me of God will find out your sin and God knows everything and God's always watching you. So make sure that you don't sin because you have a reason to be ashamed and God will find you in a, in a way that God was always disappointed in me. And I didn't think of God's presence as a calming, kind or gracious presence. This was just drilled in me over and over again. I guess for behavior modification reasons, perhaps. I have so wished that my spiritual formation in this area was grounded in 
a caring, kind, loving, and gracious God, of course, who has forgiven me from my sins, but whose presence is a light and a love to me. Imagine if I had thought of God's presence and God as the lover of my soul instead of the policeman who was going to discover a crime I had done and be angry about it and want to punish me for it. I would have had such a different kind of inner life. I want to continue reading Thurman's work on Psalm 139 with page 107. This section is called, If I Ascend Up Into Heaven, Thou Art There. If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. When my joy overflows, no words contain it. When the thing I sought was lost, only to reappear within the hollow of my hand, when the day seems interminable, but at even tide the burdens lift, and weariness is a far-off memory. When there opens before the vista of the mind the wonders of new regions, far-off places, when the gentle touch of a loved one makes music heard only by the listening heart, when the doctor's word is the final word, and deep within the hidden places of the life, healing waters stir, bringing wholeness in their wake, when the wanderer comes home, and the wayward finds peace in the ancient fireside, when from the ashes of old dreams the fires of a new life are kindled, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, when the night remains night, and the darkness deepens, when the evilness of evil is unrelieved, and utter desolation makes mockery of all that is good and true, when the open door of refuge closes in my face, and to turn back is of no avail, when the firm grip of sanity trembles, and all balances tilt, leaving the mind tortured and crazed, when all around worlds crash, and winds blow torrid over the parched and wasted places of my spirit when sin multiplies itself, until at last all goodness seems swallowed up and devoured when the chuckle of death is the only sound to be heard in the land, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, if I ascend up into heaven, behold, The next section is called, In Thy Book, All My Members Are Written. The organism, how rare a thing it is, the miracle of hand, fingers, and thumbs, caught up in single grasp, holding, shaping, fashioning outward things to make the dream a fact. The miracle of parts, a restless muscle sending blood day unto day to sustain the rhythm of lungs in and out, to keep alive the cell and striding step, the measured growth of bone, to make the wholesome balance, the upright stance, great network of nerves reaching everywhere, to alert, to caution, to gather news on every hand, to keep the world in place, that meaning may remain. The vital brain, the watchman on the wall, controlling, dispatching, interpreting, deciding, holding within its tiny folds the private journey and the grooved way, the miracle of mind, everywhere felt, nowhere seen, a thing, no thing, matter, no matter, fleeting in passage, ever unmoving, the master of the house, the servant of all, reflection and image, 
all in one. Great God, how vast must be thy faith to risk so much in such a tiny frame, to bring to being and to teach to praise a living threat to all thy nourished dreams, and yet not so upon each part the holy stamp. In thy book all thy members are written, which in countenance were fashioned when as yet there were none of them. There's a bunch of exclamation points in that portion, and I think there is such an awe and a wonder and a glory in how Thurman is expressing this jubilation at how our bodies are made and designed. I love how he talks about the brain, but he also talks about the mind being a thing but no thing, something that can't be contained, and yet something that is both the master of all and the servant of all. Fascinating way to depict the mind. Page 110. How precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How precious are thy thoughts. The nerve of life abounds in all I see. The kernel of the seed holds in its place a swinging door, through which the boundless energy of living substance flows, forming itself in root and stalk, in branch and fruit. The germ in the egg awaits the pregnant moment, a gentle tug, a brooding urge, an unhurried push to full creation, then living form of chick or bird or child, a whisper in the mind, a voice floating in the hills, calling to itself, kindred thoughts from far-off places. Ideas take shape and form, firming within their vital wall. A strange insistence, they pull, they push, they drive, command, until at last they are the master of the house, and the whole course of man's life is channeled into regions he does not know, nor scarcely understands. How precious are thy thoughts! The response to goodness, the urge to minister, the quickened willingness to bless, the deep rejection of the evil deed revealed, the pull of the clear thought, the honest desire, an all-embracing tenderness cradling the kindly act, the far-flung hope comprising myriad strands of all man's dreams the hard rebuff to all that mocks and scorns, the whole surrender of the center of consent, to lose life only to find it again. How precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! The last one I will read today is called When I Awake, I Am Still With Thee as I read these meditations that come from Psalm 139 that Howard Thurman wrote usually to his congregation to read at times of meditation. I hope they are a solace of meditation and prayer for your heart. We are in troubled times. The way to find our centered down grounding into our ground of being, which is our sustainer, our source, our creator, the divine love, is to sink as deeply as we possibly can into this intimacy with the one. And Psalm 139 is a way we can understand that there is no place where God is not. We fool ourselves into thinking in dualistic terms, I'm here, God's over there. We know better from scripture 
we know better because our hearts and our spirits give witness to this. And the Holy Spirit gives witness with a deposit in our heart. As I read this last one, I hope you sink down into it, that you awaken more deeply to the presence of God being with you all the time in love and generosity. When I awake, I am still with thee. In all the waking hours, the tentacles of time give channel to each living thing. The bird on wing, the mole moving in darkness underground, the cricket chanting its evening song. The primeval whale sporting in chilly seas or floating noiselessly in turbulent waters. The mountain crevice or sprawling meadow, the delicate beauty of color-stained flower or fragile leaf. High above the timberline, the sprig of green dares wind and snow. In the barren parchness of desert waste, the juiceless shrub and waterlogged cactus. High in the treetop, the green-pearled fruit of olive mistletoe and the soft gray stillness of creeping moss. The infant, the growing child, the stumbling adolescent, the young adult, the man full-grown or stooped with years, the tentacles of time, give channel to each living thing. And beyond this, thoughts that move with grace of being, light thoughts that dance and sing, untouched by gloom or shadow or the dark, weighty thoughts that press upon the road with tracks that blossom into dreams or shape themselves in plan and scheme, thoughts that whisper, thoughts that shout, thoughts that wander without rest, seeking, seeking, always seeking, thoughts that challenge, thoughts that soothe, the tentacles of time, give channel to each living thing. Out from the house of life, all things come, and into it, each returns again for rest. When I awake, I am still with thee. As you awake, may you grasp that God and God's presence, the Holy One, is still with you. When you lie down to rest, God is still with you. When you go up into the heavens, God is with you. When you ascend into the deepest of hells, God is with you. Oh.